welcome to the Rainbow Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Papanikolov. Rainbow and I are on a mission to upgrade humanity with fungi and expand the collective conscious. This podcast builds a virtual mycelial network of bold, open-minded thinkers and seekers. I chat with experts, thought leaders, healers, scientists, entrepreneurs, spiritual teachers, activists, and dreamers. These are stories of healing, human potential, and expansion. Tune in, root in, expand, and journey with us. Hi friends, welcome back to another episode. We are buzzing, ha ha ha, into a really cool episode and into the fascinating world of apotherapy and specifically looking at the healing properties of bee venom therapy, which is just so mind-blowing and fascinating. And of course, we know that bees, honeybees are just incredible forces of nature on this planet. And for centuries, bee venom has been this very unique elixir that's often been overshadowed by the more famous honey and propolis and jelly, royal jelly and pollen. And yet it holds some very big secrets that we're now only beginning to unlock with modern science kind of coming to understand it as well. But it is a really ancient remedy and a natural remedy. Bee venom therapy is known as apitoxin, and it's this complex mixture of enzymes, peptides, amines, which have been shown to possess these really incredible anti-inflammatory, anti-arthritis, and pain-relieving properties. So in this episode, I am chatting with Kate Hinkins, who is a new friend and just an incredible woman who shares her story with how she healed her Lyme through bee venom therapy. And it is an incredibly inspiring story. And Kate now guides, she's a a bee venom therapist and I know she's just beginning to take care and kind of keep some bees of her own as well and does research and is just an incredible researcher and educator in this field and guides some clients. She's based in Southern California, and I just love following and learning from her her content online. And bee venom therapy isn't just for Lyme disease. It can also treat a wide range of other conditions that have inflammation at its core process, which is, of course, the majority of chronic health that we face in this modern world. Bee venom therapy can also be used for GI inflammation, Crohn's disease, decreasing food sensitivities, assisting in blood sugar regulation and insulin sensitivity, decreasing the symptoms of POTS, and decreasing the duration of long-lasting viral illnesses, improving mental clarity, arthritis, skin conditions. There's really a lot that this potent medicine and elixir can do. And it is really the way that this bee venom influences the immune system and how regenerative that process is for the body. So we're going to dive into this really cool ancient remedy in this episode. And I just want to say thank you to the bees because they do not stop delivering. They are 
so hardworking. Kate shares some really beautiful, interesting, like just fascinating information about honeybees in this episode. And we are just so grateful to be able to be blessed by these amazing, hardworking, incredible creatures that do so much for us as humans and give us their medicine and pollinate our food and just continue to be such incredible forces of nature. So shout out to the honeybees. And let's dive into this really cool episode. I know you're going to learn a lot in it and from it. And let's do it. Hi, Kate. So, so lovely to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's like, I feel like, yeah, we already somewhat know each other, which is a blessing because of the internet and yeah, just feeling connected to your journey and story and so, so excited to be with you today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I love to start every episode with asking the guest what they're grateful for today. Hmm. So I do this every morning and it's my rule with myself that before I open my eyes, I have to think three things that I'm super grateful. And today, actually, one of the ones that came up was around breath work, because I think it's so amazing that we have the power to shift our like mental state with a physical practice. And I think when I wake up feeling off or like I, I woke up this morning too early and I was like, Ugh, I'm annoyed, you know, because mm-hmm. I want to sleep. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then I oh, wow, how amazing that I like have all these tools at my disposal. We're so lucky to live in a time where we know about all these things. So I feel very grateful for that. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I will share too. The What I feel grateful for is I was chatting with Simon, my partner, last night. We're a, apart from one another right now. And um, I feel grateful to be aware of the fact that I need to slow down. Mm. And so in it's December and like in this, I, I feel that there's, there's been, it's been, there's been so much that's happened in this fall season for me personally and in my business. And I feel this like deep urge in my body to like rest and take a couple steps back in order to kind of move forward at an accelerated pace. And in that there's like the whole mental thing uh, for me anyways, of, of like, no, faster, more, like keep going. And I can like hear that voice and just say like, Hey, it's okay. Like just, it's your time to chill and relax. And I just feel grateful for the awareness to be able to recognize that is what I was sharing with him last night and been kind of been reflecting on. I love that. Do you feel like you've always intuitively been good at that? Of like knowing when to slow down or has it been a learned thing for you? Definitely. I mean, I think with like, yeah, self-awareness as that has slowly expanded further and further in the process of life, like it's just been a well. And part of what we're going to talk about today is like, I think one of the beautiful gifts that chronic conditions might leave you with is this like, whether sometimes it's maybe hypervigilance, other times it's like this intuitive, extreme inner knowing of your body and its needs. And I have pushed that so many times and not listened that I know what that leads to. And so I think in that has been the like push and pull of like understanding when to just like let go of the reins a bit and take some time to like acknowledge the kind of like, yeah, the fast paced society that we live in. And this like, I have this like, yeah, internal drive to keep doing more and more things. And it's just like, oh, whoa, like why? But why? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in part, it's coming from like your deep sense of purpose, which is so clear. But then also there's that like added layer sometimes that totally yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what we have to learn. Totally. Okay. Well, I'm so thrilled to kind of be diving into, this is probably, yeah, my, I've had some chats about BBT with friends as I was mentioning to you, but I haven't really, haven't had a podcast episode on it and really taken the time to dive into it as much as I'd like to with you today. So why don't you tell us a bit about your journey and how did you find Bee Venom Therapy? Can even start with like briefly, what is it? Because I know a lot of people aren't familiar, but how long in your journey did it take until you found it? And what has that journey looked like for you? Bee Venom Therapy is actually exactly what it sounds like. You sting <laughs> yourself primarily with live bees. One of the primary things it treats is Lyme disease. And that is what I used it for. And I healed myself completely from Lyme disease using bee venom therapy over the course of about a year and a half. And it completely changed my life. So I got, first got sick, actually, when I was quite young. I grew up in the Midwest in Minnesota and was up at a cabin every weekend. Wow. And, of course, bitten by ticks. But I got very, very ill when I was seven. So I was hospitalized on and off for about a year wow. when I was seven. And I was misdiagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And then they thought I had some rare form of blood cancer. Wow. And they were... I didn't know because the Lyme testing at that point had not been developed in the same way it is now. It was just a very basic Western blot test, mm. which is different than what we have now. And so I was sick for about a year and then just got better. It went into remission and I was fine until the age of, I think I was 15 when I came back. I missed an entire, my junior year of high school. Wow. I was, I was so weak. I could barely walk. Like I, I was in constant joint pain and I had migraines all the time and the brain fog was terrible, you know, where I wouldn't remember people's names that I knew and loved dearly and would start a sentence and not know how to finish it. And, you know, it was really an intense time. But once again, nobody diagnosed me correctly. I once again got better using natural modalities. I was doing a lot of acupuncture. And at that time, I was also starting teaching yoga and I was you know, like into all of the wellness things already. Went into remission and then... Oh, God, was, is that because you were looking for answers of things that would help you? Or were you... Did you, Is that how you discovered yoga or, or acupuncture, things like that? I think being sick as young as I was just instilled this deep, yeah. deep understanding that like, if we don't have this, we have nothing. So from a very early age, I understood that your health had to be the most important thing. And so I think it gave me like a real sense of gratitude and reverence for like attending to health, yeah, you yeah, know? totally. And so that I, that's, I think, what led me on my journey of like interest in wellness and yoga and all of that. I got healthy again. And then about a year after I graduated college, I started getting sick again. And I got sicker and sicker over the course of a couple of also, years. Also, like, do you attribute in those mom the moments of getting sick? Was there a stressful event, emotions, hormones, like anything that you can that you look back and be like, oh, maybe that's what triggered it? Yeah, and it's so interesting to do this because uh, now that I, I work with clients too, helping them on their journeys, it really is like a very clear pattern that tends to happen. And it's not one thing specifically necessarily, but it's like a time marked by yeah. stress and emotional turmoil and like a changing of 
sense of self in some way, like a change in your relationship to the world around you. So when I was seven, it was about a year before I got very sick. My brother fractured a growth plate in his leg and was told he would never walk again. So it was this, I think it put so much stress on my family, which of course, as a little kid, you feel so deeply, but have no way of Mm -hmm. talking about. And my brother's now fine, but it is so interesting that like these events definitely trigger things. Then once I was I was sick again and it just kept getting worse to the point that I couldn't even work anymore. Like I had to well, leave my job to like I was I was sleeping 18 plus hours a day and oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> like I would walk like 10 feet and have to sit down because I was so dizzy and it was really bad and finally she was a naturopathic MD. So she both has the naturopathic side and the medical doctor. And she finally was like, okay, we need to, we need to figure this out. And luckily we got the Lyme diagnosis. Wow. Okay. So, so many people that I know who have been diagnosed with Lyme, it's like, it's like a 15 year journey of healing. And part of that's because they don't have the diagnosis, but then also you're kind of like building, I feel like trying so many different things in the process. But do you think Like, is there the ability that you know of to kind of have the diagnosis and heal within a shorter time frame? Or is the nature of the kind of progression of that just long or, you know, I don't, and I don't like to speak in absolutes because I don't, I just know that like anything is possible and it really depends on the person, but anything that you can speak to on that? Absolutely. I think a hundred percent it's possible to heal more quickly. We firstly need to understand that Every single organ and body part has its own rate of regeneration. We all know this. And so we have to trust in the cycles of our regeneration, right? So like can't outdo your biology, but you can make it as efficient as possible. And the amazing, amazing thing is that when you have the right kind of, you know, emotional, mental support, understand and feel um, a sense of power around and responsibility for your own health and feel involved in your treatment, you are able to, and I've seen people literally feel a difference using bee venom therapy within two to three weeks, which my experience was as well. And it's, it's just incredible, like how quickly things can change when there's actual alignment. But also I want to acknowledge that, of course, like this was also years of me doing health-oriented things and Ayurvedic classes and, you know, Chinese medicine and everything. So it is a journey, but healing can happen quickly. Yeah, I believe that too. Yeah. So from that point to actually finding the bees or the bees finding you, how did that kind of progress? So I went at it hard. I was like, I will try literally everything because at this point I was so done being sick. I was so sick of the life that had fallen apart in front of me. So I went very hard and saw a top Lyme specialist and was doing four times a week. I was going in to get antibiotic intravenously. I was getting stem cells and ozone and hyperbaric and, you know, doing all of the detox modalities and sauna and whatever. And I was on, I think it was probably like 30 or 40 different medications. Um, I also tried a bunch of herbal protocols and, you know, different things from naturopaths and nothing worked. And I just kept getting sicker and sicker and it made symptoms worse and not in a detoxing way. It just made me sicker. sicker. And so I tried, I did a 12 day water fast. I did 
you know, tried every imaginable version of diet and detox. But I remember so clearly the day that I decided I was done. And I woke up and I was throwing up violently. Like, and I had been a few days at that point because of the medications that the doctor had given me. And it made me so ill that all of the blood vessels in my face had popped. And so like my whole face and neck was just like speckled red. My eyes were red. Oh like gosh. it was awful. And I l- looked in the mirror and I was like, this, this can't be it. <laughs> like I'm done. And around that same time, I found out that the Lyme specialist that I had been seeing was actually had some like lack of integrity that I didn't know about. I found out that there was a patient who was taking a really expensive medication and decided to stop taking it and brought it back into the office and said, I want you to give this to a patient who can't afford it. And the doctor turned around and sold it to a patient. And I think for whatever reason, that lapse in integrity and me seeing that, I think it triggered something that was so deep in me that it was beneath my illness. So to my understanding of like right and wrong and like what it is feel and goodness that it snapped me out of it in such an intense way because I was so like you know you you become a little bit self-obsessed when you're sick because you have to you're in yourself and you're worried like you're trying to keep yourself alive and for whatever reason that snapped me out of it and made me understand that I needed to be in control and and in that the way that the industry around Lyme disease is structured yeah. is at its best, people just kind of like throwing stuff at a wall to see if it sticks. At the worst, it can also be a kind of dark thing where people who are in a really vulnerable position end up kind of getting taken advantage. A hundred percent. It's like it's so interesting that you say that because I feel like at the heart of what you just described of like the patient doctor relationship and something that I feel like is shifting in integrative medicine and, and the, the, like the coming together of different modalities and what is at the core of that is truly integrity and like having the, like that trust. So there's a really cool paper that I have just found recently and I want to get into, but it's like the role I feel that a healer, right? Because like, if you want to think about like what a doctor really should be doing at the core of what, what they're doing, what they're doing and their intelligence and, and this dynamic, it is there is a power imbalance, right? Because you are sick and you're seeking help from, from somebody that ideally is going to provide that and, and offer that guidance. But what is really needed in that relationship is a sense of like, hold my hand as we walk together and like I'm going to empower you and this has nothing to do with like I think I believe a true healer is going to be able to like elicit that healing response in the patient through their nervous system through their ability to like empower them and right like if our nervous systems are like sensing the safety in a situation or in a person and we've entrusted somebody with the responsibility of like can you help me walk in the mud and be in the darkest of times right now? 
And I don't know, like, I just love that that was that that was such a key moment for you, because I think it's just such a, a huge responsibility and it has to be shared and the integrity and the trust and like the love and the sense of like, yeah, just like it has to be present between those two people for it to have the most beneficial response for the patient. Totally. Because I think like you're saying, the healer or the doctor, whoever's practitioner's job is just to show somebody possibility and like help them see possibility in themselves. You know, it's like if you're the star of the relationship, you're wrong. Basically. Yeah. And and then it's it's just so it's so hard because I'm like, yeah, money gets involved. And I mean, I, I literally can't imagine being on like 30. How did 30 pharmaceuticals? Like how? It was insane. My mom actually came out for like a month to LA to help me. And she created, she's amazing. She created this whole like, oh. system <laughs> chart and like all the things. But it's, it's truly insane. And I think what I've realized now is that that level of complexity, especially when you are so compromised, can lead to just more nervous system dysregulation and more feeling unsafe than it can to actual healing. And so much of healing is just about how receptive you are to it. So like, even though I did all of the herbal protocols, my body wasn't ready to receive that or attuned enough to be sensitive enough to respond to that. And so I think so much of it is just like getting your body to a place that you can receive the healing. So then when finding the venom therapy, I basically had heard you kind of go down these deep rabbit holes, as I'm sure you know, with your mold journey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was in Facebook groups. I was in every corner of the internet, you know, in Instagram hashtags, all of that. And was like, this sounds a little bit off the deep end, even for me. And I'm pretty down. Um, But what I did is I started to just look at the research papers. And I was spending so much time just like being in bed because I was so exhausted that that was something that I could do was like understand this thing. And it was such a strong, it made so much sense to me once I understood the science behind it and basically immediately dropped everything, told my family, okay, I'm not doing any, any of the stuff that, wow. you know, we've talked about. Yeah. I, you know, stopped seeing all the doctors that I had been seeing and literally just ordered myself some bees and it's like, all right, let's go. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. (laughs) Did you have anybody help you? Like, so I learned from a couple different people, you know, like different internet people over time. Isn't there a lady who discovered this that was. She didn't discover it. Basically, so actually, even if therapy has been around for. The Greeks used it or. I mean, it's been around for like 10,000 years, right? And there are so many different people have had a relationship with bee venom as far back as we know human history. And so it was, you know, Hippocrates talks about bee venom, which is wild. It was also one of the roots of acupuncture for certain African acupuncture modalities. You know, it has these like deep, deep ties. And I think now what it, as all things are right now, just like with the mushrooms, the wisdom of the old stuff is coming back, but now backed with better science. 100%. So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So how long ago was this? Like so I got diagnosed in 2019. Okay. Recent. Yeah. And then started stinging, I think, in 2020. And then I was fully cured within a year and a half from that. 
Whoa. Yeah. So, okay. So the premise, premise of be venom therapy is you are using the, you're stinging yourself. And is that along the spinal column or where did you do it? Yeah. So you sting primarily on meridians on either side of your spine. It is the bladder meridian in Chinese medicine, which is the longest meridian in the body. So it starts all the way at the top of your head, goes down your neck and your spine, and then goes all the way down. You started at the head too? I didn't start at the head. That comes a little bit later, but you sting primarily because part of it, venom is a toxin. And so you want to keep the venom close to the organs that can detox it, especially at the beginning, because you don't want to create a like overwhelming histamine response for your body. So by stinging there, you are keeping it in your like central organs and central trunk. And so your body is able to process it. And also because you're right along your central nervous system with it being your spine, your body is able to distribute it throughout the body super efficiently. And so the way that you do it is basically you start very slowly. You start with not even a full sting and then eventually work your way up to usually somewhere between like seven and 12 stings a day for three days a week. And the average treatment time is like a year and a half to three years. And then you find out you know, whether you've cured it or not. Wow. What are some of the conditions that it can help with? There's autoimmune conditions. I know you've mentioned various like breast cancer, prostate cancer. Are there any other autoimmune conditions like Crohn's or anything along those lines that you think maybe there's not research, but there's, have you seen anything? Yeah. I mean, Crohn's definitely, MS definitely. What's so crazy though, is it can treat this broad range of conditions. But the reason for that is really like core to what bee venom is about. So bee venom as a substance is fascinating because it creates obviously a localized inflammatory reaction. You get stung by a bee, the area swells up and you're like, that's inflammation, right? But what's actually going on behind the scenes is that it is reducing the expression of inflammatory cytokines, which are what sets off the sort of cascade of inflammatory reactions that we feel and see in our bodies. And then it also regulates the production of regulatory T cells, which are what are often often compromised when people have autoimmune conditions. And at the core of most modern diseases is inflammation because inflammation exacerbates and allows for things to exist, you know, bad things to proliferate in the body, basically. And so on like a chemical level, you have one of the main compounds is melatonin. And melatonin is a peptide that can degranulate biofilms that surround really hard to treat bacteria and viruses. So a lot of really sneaky bacteria and viruses like HIV or like Lyme disease or like Epstein-Barr virus will build these biofilms around them that are these protective shells. And the problem with that is that antibiotics are completely unable to touch that. And so that's why so many of the treatments we have for these things just aren't that effective, because once a biofilm has been built, it can't be touched. And so melatonin can actually break the biofilm and then go in and kill the bacteria or virus inside in a way that no other substance can. And are these, if we like magic school bus into the body, and so, you know, you get stung and these compounds are entering the bloodstream. 
where do these biofilms hide? Like, so if, if we're just like in the, the circulatory system, are they in the circulatory system amongst all the other cells? Are they in the organs? Where are these biofilms? Are they all over the body? Basically all over the body. And the thing with something like if we're talking about Lyme disease is Lyme, the Borrelia bacteria, is a spirochete bacteria. So that means it's in a spiral shape and it can kind of corkscrew its way into any tissue it wants in the body. And so it'll hide out in different organs or wherever you're kind of weak. It will hide out. And then if there's a time of stress, then it will become activated. And so it'll hide in, you know, the reproductive organs. It will hide in the digestive system. Anywhere. Yeah. That's so wild. Yeah. And same with parasites, I guess, too. Parasites will hide in biofilms. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar structure. The, the biofilms are on yeah. them. Wow. Okay. So crazy. So, so basically, yeah, what you're saying is at the core of like the mechanism of action of the venom is an inflammatory response, but also providing kind of helping to lessen the inflammatory load in the body through these like intelligent compounds. Yeah. I mean, and the crazy thing with bee venom is that it's, it's made up of six, like over 60 different ingredients, ingredients, compounds that they've identified as being active inside the body. And so it's not as simplistic as that. You know, you have something called apamin, which is the smallest known um, like neurotoxic compound that exists. So it's a neurotoxic polypeptide that can cross the blood brain barrier and is actually being studied to be used as a shuttle for other drugs across the blood brain barrier. I was going to say, because that's like with Alzheimer's and like a lot of the pharma, like they haven't developed any new Alzheimer's medication since 2004 because like, well, all of the pharmaceuticals actually make the condition worse, but they haven't been able to exactly what you said, find anything that can really be small enough to enter the central nervous system and like access that. Yeah. And the Alzheimer's one is super interesting too, because part of the reason that Alzheimer's symptoms exist is because the brain gets inflamed. Certain regions of the brain become inflamed, which of course is going to impair memory. It's going to impair how, how axons are able to fire. Like it impairs the way that you think and the brain operates. And so they've found that because the venom can reduce the neuroinflammation, it can help not only reduce the progression of Alzheimer's, but also reverse the progression of Alzheimer's because it's able to repair the myelin sheets that are on the ends of strands of DNA, which is wild. It's wild. It's so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> I'm going to send you the paper that I was telling you about because it also talks about lion's mane's ability to do the exact same thing via the yeah, combating because it's also a potent anti-inflammatory and so much of even like depression, the way that depression can lead to Alzheimer's or dementia is like similarly through that neuroinflammation. Yeah, really interesting that just all of all of the research around this. Yeah, it's a really field that's just emerging interestingly is there anything so like yeah what kind of bees do you actually sting with because i was like i would love to yeah dive way more into like actually reading more research and i'm so lucky to get to talk to you but like i was reading something about the queen bee stings and how like from days zero to three the queen bee has the strongest potency of venom is that a thing do you sting with queen bees or is it any bee so I don't sting with queen bees because once you start to understand the like mechanism and like social structure of a hive, like the queen is 
at the crux of the health of the hive. And so I haven't done it personally, but I'm interested in learning more about that. But I sting with, so they have to be honeybees. They can be from different origins. So honeybees aren't native to North America. They are primarily from Italy, like you have your sort of European honeybee, you have your Russian honeybee, and then you have your African honeybee. And they've all made their way over primarily via Catholic missionaries, actually, especially the ones from Europe, which is really interesting. They brought them over to be used because they loved the beeswax candles and they had a rule that you could only burn beeswax candles in masses in the ancient church. And so they brought over beehives so that they could bring them, which is crazy. So cool. So North America has like a big population of them now because they were brought over? Yeah. So North America has a big population of honeybees now. And then we also have a bunch of native bees as well. The native bees that we have aren't medicinal in their stings. And a lot of them don't actually sting usually. And so the honeybees is what you need for stinging. Got it. Will you tell us more about that like structure of the hive and the social structure? Yeah. So, I mean, bees are fascinating because they operate unlike basically any other organism that we understand. They're sort of like this macro organism. They all work together. And so they don't have a sense of like personal identity. It's not individual identity. It's like hive identity. And so you have to think about each bee kind of as neurons in a brain. So they're not making decisions as so you crazy. and me would make That's a decision. That's so cool. They make a decision like, I'm a neuron. I'm going to fire and present an option, like a potential path. And then... Other bees have to either agree and fire with it or disagree and go in a different direction. And so even just like the complex decision making that happens with the way that bees work. So all of the bees that you ever see out in the world are female honeybees. Every single bee wow. that you ever see on a flower is a female honeybee. So the male bees aren't very good at a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how to feed themselves. And so they hang out for most of their life. They are inside the hive and their role is primarily about communication. So they help with the hive communicating about what the goings on are. But the female bees are entirely responsible for everything else in the hive. And the male bees really only exist and their primary function is to mate and go out on these mating flights to try to mate with a queen bee from another colony. So the weather changes and it starts to get a little bit colder and there's a little bit less resources for the hive. The female bees will kick the male bees out and they literally drag them out of the hive. I have <laughs> I've watched it happen. They drag them out of the hive and they leave them outside and then they starve to death because they don't <laughs> know how to eat. <laughs> Ruthless. <laughs> uh, wow. So very interesting. But but bees are so they're so incredible because they're also these natural, they're natural herbalists. They're natural, like they know how to self-medicate so well because they have at their disposal everything in their immediate environment. So they are true herbalists. They're going and visiting, you know, 50 to 100 flowers in a single flight out and back. And so they are gathering nectar from specific flowers in order to so cool. that flowers specific benefits. So they'll bring it back to the hive and then they'll store it away in part of the comb. 
And that's sort of like a medicine cabinet. So this this will be like the red clover section of comb. Wow. And turn to a specific section of comb in order to use the medicinal benefits of that flower. If there's like disease that comes up in the hive or, or whatever. Cool. Is and and the queen bee is always staying in the hive, and her prime role is making more laying eggs, making babies, making baby bees. Yeah. So the literally her entire life leaves the hive once, maybe twice. Wow. So how long is this lifespan? The queen bee can live up to three to four years, but a worker bee's lifespan is usually around six weeks. Okay. And so that's it's much shorter. But the queen bee, so she will not see the light of day for the majority of her life. It's completely dark inside the hive. And all she's doing all day long is laying eggs. And she will lay between 1,500 and 2,000 eggs in a single oh, wow. day. Wow. And she's doing that all day, every all summer. day. And or even throughout. All, yeah. No, not during the winter. You're right. And so she's doing that during like whenever it's warm enough then they're not hibernating. That's what she's doing. And so she has these attendants, like these little, her little (laughs) assistants who go around her and feed her. And she doesn't even go outside of the hive to go to the bathroom. Like all the other bees go and fly around to go to the bathroom. Hers is cleaned up (laughs) by the other bees. That's so, that is, wow. That's so cool. Yeah, she's like an actual true queen. So interesting to see those hierarchies in nature. Like where, I guess, you know, you see that with lion, like all all animals potentially. There might be some of that, but like it's really evident with the bees. But what's so interesting, I think, because there is this, I think, misconception around you see the queen and you think like, oh, you know, she's pampered constantly. But actually, if you think about like the content of her life, her role is service. And so, like, the true matriarch and the true leader, she is of complete service. The other also are of service, but they get to leave the hive and they get to go, like, experience this beautiful world, whereas she gets, like, deep devotion and dedication only to that hive. And so it's so interesting because we think Mm -hmm. queen means... Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that. I love looking at it that way. It's so true. One of the questions that, that I got from a community member was... Yeah, basically, what are the impacts on the bees? So you're you're stinging with with BVT, and how do you frame that, and how do you look at that? Yeah, so I actually love talking about this because this was one of the things that most crushed me and was like the biggest deterrent for me in starting BVT. And I remember for the first month of me stinging, I would be alone in my bathroom <laughs> with my little box of bees and I would cry because I felt so terrible that I was killing the bees and like my hands were shaking because after a bee stings, its stinger falls out and then it dies. And with BBT, you actually will kill the bees just to make it quicker for them so they're not suffering. And absolutely, I mean, we need bees. It's so crucial that we have bees in our world. But I think what's an interesting layer of nuance to add is that the way that bees are primarily used in our agriculture system in the U.S., bees are kind of pimped out to different farms to use for pollination. And primarily in California, it's like almonds and, you know, citrus and whatever else. And so the bees will be brought to a place and they will eat a mono diet for several weeks of only that one type of pollen and nectar. That actually ruins their gut microbiome 
and them far more susceptible to diseases. And so that's the primary way that the majority of beekeepers make a living is by renting out bees in that way. And then it actually leads to the decline of bee populations. But most beekeepers, even beekeepers who adore the bees and want to do the best for them, are having to do that. So some beekeepers have started supplying bees for bee venom therapy, and it provides them an alternate source of income that actually allows them to keep their hives healthier, which keeps the overall bee population healthier. The other thing that I think is important to understand, like I said, the queen will lay 1,500 to 2,000 eggs in a single day. In an entire two-year course of bee venom therapy, you're using under 2,000 bees. And so, of course, that's not to delegitimize that that's not a good thing. But I do think it's important to understand that, you know, a colony of bees is anywhere from 40 to 150,000 bees. Like, there are a lot of them. And then the other thing that I think is really important and that I've noticed so much with anybody who's had experience with bee venom therapy is that that intimacy with the death is also really important. I think that there's something, because life implicates death always, right? So like we cannot walk in this world without harming something else. We do not get to live without some level of give and take, right? And so I think when people are given that intimacy with death on that level, and then paired with this deep, deep gratitude of like, this thing is healing, it's so much closer to the way that so many ancient cultures lived. It was, it was not the big life. It was that they were giving gratitude and reverence for that life. And it gives people just such a different perspective. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's like that reverence and the exchange. And I'm sure anybody who's gone through chronic, like, yeah, you can get to this point as well, where you're like so desperate to feel better. And I, I think as long as you can stay in this place of like extreme recognition that like one life is like, it's not that like one life um, necessary, necessarily lives like above another, but it's that they're assisting you in this like beautiful journey and that you can also give back afterwards and help increase the population and like do so much. And, and I, I can like, I think intimacy is such a beautiful word for that. Like I could imagine. I like reciprocity yeah. like I think that I think that's one of the great teachings of the bees is understanding that because you were given such a great gift you get to give a great yeah. gift yeah and you get to support in return and I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I love what you were saying about the behavior of the hive acting as one, acting as like one kind of shared consciousness. Although you did mention there's like some optionality for like the bees to like decide to do that thing. But like overall it does, there's a lot of similarities around fungi and that shared kind of interconnected mycelial network that kind of is one coming up. Like there's one network and in that is like a, a reproductive action of actually like shooting up the mushroom and then spreading the spores. And that is ultimately for the good of spreading this network that weaves through like all of biomass on earth. And that, that network effect is, it's just so powerful. 
And we don't know quite as much about like fungi as, as perhaps we do about bees quite yet, but there is, they're, they're definitely sentient in the sense that like they know when we're around and there's a form of intelligence that has been shown throughout various research and, and also just like, you know, how they have existed for so long. But it's just so cool because when I got really fascinated with fungi as well and just understanding like that they are they're a little like pharmaceutical powerhouses basically and they and they have those compounds because they have to produce them for themselves to protect themselves in nature and they're dealing with the exact same parasites bacteria fungi like molds as we are and then you bring these compounds into the body and they confer those benefits in us too like it's so cool so cool. Do you happen to know how long mushrooms have been around, like on the planet? Because we're talking hundreds of millions of years, uh, I think right? it's, I mean, yes, like, yes, one of the oldest organisms. It's so cool because, and even with bees, we're not nearly as old as mushrooms because bees started to develop, I think, 150 million years ago. And then I'm sure fungi long before that. I want to say like, I want to throw out, I think I've seen figures as high as 2.3 billion years, but like also I could be wrong. <laughs> insane. It's insane. So it's like, if you know, if we're talking about wisdom and like elders, like these are the planetary elders, yeah. you know, like these are the yeah. elders that we need to be listening to. 100%. So cool. Well, and there's deep connections between the bees and mushrooms. Are you familiar with the Siberian bee shaman? Oh my gosh, I don't think so. Do tell. So the most ancient depiction that anthropologists think it's the most ancient depiction of the use of psychedelic mushrooms in human civilization. And it was a cave painting found in Algeria. And it is a picture of this man, a shaman. His face is a bee. And then his entire body is covered in mushrooms. Like the entire body is mushrooms. And I have to send you a picture yeah. of it. It's amazing. And so there was always this deep relationship between mushrooms and bees. And more recently, it was identified some of the ways that that exists is that, and I, you might have heard of Paul Stamets' work around the bees, um, the bees and mushrooms. And he observed basically that bees were visiting mushrooms in the morning when there was dew on the mushrooms and in specific mushrooms. So they really preferred reishi and amadou mushrooms. And those were their favorites. And then basically researchers realized that the reason that they preferred those is because they increased their immunity towards a lot of diseases that affect bees. And so the bees are using the mushrooms as medicine. And it's, it's so, so crazy. crazy. They are little herbalists. That's completely. It's so, that's, I love, I've never heard of a bee called an herbalist. And I just... I love that depiction. And it's so true. That's exactly what they are. Okay. And why doesn't BVT work if you have mold? It's not actually that it doesn't work. It's that it's dangerous. Part of bee venom therapy is it will activate mast cells because whenever you're putting something that's toxic inside of the body and creates a histamine response, you're going to have activation. And then when you're dealing with mold, mast cells are chronically activated. Your histamine response is way off the charts. And so then if you get stung by a bee, you're more likely to have a really outsized reaction to the histamine, which can be dangerous because it can mean that you could develop an anaphylactic allergy to it and that your body is in such a heightened state that it can't receive the full benefits of bee venom. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Is there any other 
contra like I don't know any any people that aren't ready for BVT or that you would suggest nervous system healing like anything that would maybe come before BVT definitely yeah I think that bee venom therapy is an incredible tool but that you do need to kind of lay some groundwork basically some of the things that are super crucial before starting bee venom therapy are the health of your detox burdens and like all of your detox pathways right so you want to make sure that your lymphatic system is working properly that your liver and kidneys are working properly that your digestive system is working properly because when you're putting something as strong as bee venom into the body you need to know that your body is going to be able to detoxify itself and actually get rid of the stuff that the bee venom is liberating inside of the body. And so you need your system to be strong enough in order to do that. So I think it's a focus on detox pathways, on nutrition, on getting histamines down in the nutrition and getting the nervous system. Like nervous system regulation is a huge part of it as well so that you can handle the cortisol spike that's just inherent to when you get stung by a bee, you get this boost of adrenaline and cortisol because your body is, you know, responding to a toxin. But I mean, I have like so many questions <laughs> about it, but I know it's kind of, it would be so specific to every individual person and just kind of like starting slow. But did you start with one, like, is it one sting a day? I know you slowly work up to like, what is it every other day or three times a week? Yes. Three times a week. And I started with not even a full sting, mean, full sting, and you leave it in. Basically, the way that a stinger, a bee venom stinger works is that it has a muscle attached to the actual stinger. And the muscle continues to contract oh, even after the bee has gone away. And so it'll usually keep contracting for like 10 or so minutes. And that's pumping more and more venom into the body. And so actually kind of control the amount of um, venom that you're getting by controlling how long you leave the stinger in. So you start literally with just testing. So it's like you know, in and out under two seconds, and then you work your way up to a minute and then five minutes and go slowly. Yeah. So I guess then when you are stinging it into the body, you're holding the bee there. And then I kind of thought that the stinger just stayed in you. Yep, it does. It does. So it would detach from the bee at that point, and then you'd have to take the stinger out or you leave the bee there? No, you take the bee away because usually you're holding the bee with like a tweezers right. or sometimes your fingers, and then you'll pull the bee away. The stinger stays in the body, and then you remove the stinger later. Okay. Wow. Yeah, what would you say to somebody that's new to their journey or just got diagnosed and is like so brand new to this world and is feeling like... They don't know where to turn to. Know that it's not a life sentence. Know that nothing's forever and especially not illness. Like you, you have the power to heal. And the best guide is to trust yourself. And of course, look to outside wisdom. But ultimately, it needs to be coming from you because I think so much of the power of healing is like in taking power back and knowing it's within you. Totally. I love that. What does your routine look like now with kind of all of this? So I actually recently started stinging myself again. So I hadn't been stinging myself. And then I got COVID and was having really, really bad post-COVID symptoms. And there have been some recent studies that have shown that bee venom can kill the COVID virus, which is really interesting. And so I started back up with 
stings and a lower number of stings, but it's helped so dramatically in the past few weeks that, that doing it and helping clear like the kind of body ache and brain fog that I'd been feeling from post-COVID. And so now I think what's amazing about Be Venom Therapy is now it's this tool that I have and can use in so many different ways. And so it, it's just so incredible because, you know, if I start to have like gut inflammation stuff, I can mm -hmm. do you know, bee venom therapy that to support, you know, the inflammation in my gut, like I can use it as this amazing like tool forever. Yeah. So cool. I want to try it for some more gut healing. Yeah. That's fascinating. When you have chronic illness, I think a lot of, and I've, I've been there so many times where like you almost develop this hypervigilance of the body and fear, right? Of like, oh my gosh, can I eat that? What's it going to do? Should I have this glass of wine? Like, because you're so protective and, you know, like you said, just wanting to like survive and not have flare ups and all these things. Like what has that journey of hypervigilance and kind of the relaxation of the nervous system looked like for you? And did you find at what point in BVT did that start to like, was it basically as soon as you started to kind of experience some benefits and some of that healing that that started to take a back seat? Or can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you're so right that I think the hypervigilance is something that so many people can relate to in chronic illness because you have to be so careful. It's not an option. You know, you're you're thinking about it when you're going out to, can I go to dinner with my friends? And, you know, am I going to feel terrible three days after? And I think that, you know, it definitely has been a journey, but now I'm in a place that I have more freedom in what I eat and what I'm able to do and my body's resilience than I ever have had. And I have less inflammation than I did, even when I was on the hyper-specific crazy things. So I think that I can hugely credit the bees for that because the bees, from what I've noticed, create like such a resilience in the body and this ability to respond to things differently. So like one of the things, just as an example, is like with gluten. I didn't eat gluten for like probably eight years or something. And now like I can have a bite of, you know, whatever, and I'm fine because the body is not overreactive. And so it's completely about training the nervous system and then also having the bee venom to support the just inflammatory process of the body. And so that's, you know, that's the meditation. That's the breath work that I love. It's, it's like, that's been a huge part of my life and yoga, all of that. Yeah. yeah all that. I love that you mentioned that it is, uh, there's something that I think movement in whatever form that takes for somebody like running or, you know, yoga or like flowing and dancing, like you mentioned, like, I think there's something just so dynamic and it's like flowy in that process that counters the approach that, you know, we take in life in so many ways. It's just like, it's so, so essential and it's so beautiful, the healing that comes from that too. Well, and I think too, it's about this, like, because I felt so not in my body when I was sick. Like I felt, I felt like it was this like creature other than me that like try to control in some mm -hmm. way or like, get, like, you know, I didn't know how to relate to myself because, you know, I, I stopped recognizing myself in myself. And so I think that embodiment is such a huge part of healing, like getting back, like actually being with your body and all of those things are great to do. 
Totally. And one other question we had was, um, I didn't know how to pronounce the, the name of this test, but did you get 100% clean Igenex? Oh, the Igenex, Igenex yes. lab post-treatment. Yes, I did. I retested. It was about a year and a half after I started stinging. And then I was completely clear of Lyme and both of the co-infections that I had, which were um, Babesia and Bartonella. So, wow. (laughs) How remarkable. Truly. Truly. (laughs) So lucky. Wow. Thank you so, so much. I just like, I feel so expanded in your presence and it's just like hearing stories of healing. My friend was actually just telling me about this way of, there's a great book about parenting and it was this woman who traveled the world with her baby visiting indigenous cultures and learned about how she actually like went to visit an indigenous culture and she was like, whoa, all of these kids are fucking amazing. Like my, like what is happening in the West? Like these kids are amazing. (laughs) Like we need to do what they're doing. And yeah. And she found that like at the heart of it was storytelling and that that was how they learned. And that was how the parents taught was through story and it is myth. And just like, it could be real, but it also could be mythic in its nature. And just a lot of that, because it's like hearing stories is how we just come into resonance with like a reality that is possible. It's how we learn. It's how we relearn. It's how like, even just like, you know, this sound current of truth for somebody, how that resonates in somebody else and what that elicits in somebody else is just learning. It's so cool. Yeah. It's very, I think it's sort of like the, a lot of the Joseph Campbell stuff. Have you read much of his work? Like very powerful sort of hero's journey see like the through lines in people's stories yeah. like in the specificity you see these like beautiful universal through mm-hmm. lines and I think it feels so connected it's really beautiful yeah yeah well thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and the work you do and just like being such a advocate and yeah advocate for the bees and healing and and all of the things you do well thank you thank you for having me And if you can leave our audience with one wish, prayer, intention, what would it be? I wish that we will all have the courage to trust ourselves, even when it's hard. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Kate. And... Thank you so much. I look forward to meeting you in person one day. I know, me too. You have to come beekeeping and I want to learn all about mushrooms. Yeah, I will. I will totally. Thank you again so much. Oh, thank you. All right. Talk soon. Bye. With deep gratitude, thanks for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, hit subscribe and leave us a review. That is always very appreciated. Mushrooms transformed my mind and body. And if you're interested in bringing medicinal mushrooms into your life and health journey, check out rainbow.com for our meticulously sourced Canadian fruiting body mushroom tinctures. Until next time, peace in and peace out, friends. Mm